Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what's up with you? Not too much, man. I can't complain. Got a cup of coffee in my hand. I get to talk magic with my buddy for the next hour or so. Life is good. How are you? I agree. Life is good. Swimming along. Do you have a, a diet Mountain Dew in your hand? I do have a Diet Mountain Dew right here within arm's length. It's okay, everyone. He's not an imposter. We got the real <laughs> we got the real deal, Ben Werney, on the line today. We do. Confirmed, in fact, myself. All right. So before we dive into the show this week, let's get the nasty stuff over with. Let's talk about the trophy leaderboard. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not doing too badly here. So I've got uh in anniversary twenty-five, I've got 32 drafts, 10 trophies, 69 and 27 overall record for a 72% win rate. That's where I ended up in anniversary 25. And the modern cube started off pretty brutally for me uh, with a lot of round one, lost two ones and a one, two thrown in there. But I ended up uh, on a hot streak yesterday on stream. So I've got nine modern cube drafts under my belt, two total trophies, a 19 and eight record overall for a 70% win rate. I feel no need to discuss my own win rate. I don't need to impress anyone here. I don't need to... No, uh, yeah, I've had a, a bit of a rough go in the modern cube. Uh, so I guess we'll I'll talk about... I ended up in uh, Anniversary 25 with 53 drafts and 15 trophies. 104 to 52 win-loss for a 67% win rate. And the modern cube has been rough for me. I have 13 drafts and two trophies. But my win loss is 21 to 18 for a 54% win rate. So I'm just a, a scrub of limited this week. Ouch. It'll turn around. No Lord status for me. Yeah. Yeah, it'll turn around. I'm excited to talk about the topic today and then to dive into to our experiences with the Modern Cube in general towards the end of the episode. Uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff to get to today. Most exciting of all is our first Lords of Limited preview cards for Dominaria, which we will get to at the end of the episode. So please, please stay tuned with us until the end. You're not going to want to miss these sweet cards. But before we get into all that, we got to talk about our new patrons. So we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose, try and give you some sweet perks. But if you just find value from the show each week and you want to show your love that way, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, you get access to the Lords of Limited Discord chat. I say this every week, but really and truly, this is the place to be if you want to discuss Limited like a degenerate. If you want to post draft lists, if you want to post... What's the plays if you want to post your actual drafts and get feedback on that? Do you want to ask me and Ben questions? you want to be in a community of like-minded limited junkies? That's where you want to be, and you get access to that for the base level donation. Also get you access to our show notes, get you access to a little pre-show recording, get some behind the scenes of Ben and I prepping for the show. All that we give back to you, and you also get shouted out on the show, so we want to welcome this week Ronald and Jacob. Thank you so much for your support. We really, 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 really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much, patrons. Really looking forward to diving into Dominaria with you all and seeing if we can crack the format in the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And seeing if we can maybe uh, get that sweet, sweet day two at GP Columbus. I don't know if we've talked about this on the show yet. I don't think we have. We're going to take it down. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot on stream. So for those of you who are longtime listeners will know, but maybe newer listeners don't, Ben and I actually have never met. We met through the the good graces of Twitch and our 
mutual love and degeneracy brought us together of limited addiction addiction yeah, is addiction. the word you're looking for thank you thank you very much but so we're finally gonna gonna get to not only meet but we're gonna get to to battle together with another streamer and fellow pittsburgher friend of mine stunlock ftw on twitch so we're gonna be at gp columbus which is gonna be a, a team uh limited team sealed event so if you're there, please come say hi to us. You'll be able to spot us easily with our sweet Lords of Limited t-shirts that we'll be rocking. But I'm really excited about that. I'm quite, quite pumped to get to do another Team GP. Yeah, it's going to be sweet. Looking forward to meeting you. Looking forward to grinding the new format. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. All right. So what do we got in store for the listeners today? We're going to talk a lot about learning a new format. So we wanted to talk about cube without like running down a list of cards and with dominaria also on the horizon this seemed like a perfect time to do an episode about like how we approach new formats uh now that we've started doing the podcast i know this is different for me now that i'm trying to learn new formats on my own as opposed to like get information from limited and obviously i'm still pulling information from limited resources and articles i read on channel fireball and things like that but i'm also trying to develop my own solid opinions about the format which is fairly new for me in the last like year and a half two years yeah so we're going to take you through approaches to two different kind of approaches to formats, one for a regular format, uh, whatever like the current competitive draft format is like right now would be Rivals of Ixalan uh, and upcoming for Dominaria. You could apply this to that and also to less traditional sets like if you're learning Cube for the first time or if you're learning one of these master sets that comes out that's only around for three weeks, you know, I think those require two different approaches. So we're going to outline each of those for you in the show here today. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get started. So let's talk about looking at a new competitive draft sealed format for the first time yeah the first thing i think you want to do when you sit down is make sure you know what the new mechanics are and how you think they're going to affect limited if they're going to be a major player a minor player so if we take a look back at rivals this was sort of different because this was like the new set versus a small set big set and that's not going to be around anymore so we have some returning mechanics but explore was a returning mechanic and that was very minor in rivals of ixalan right we identified that almost right away when we were doing our crash course there was only mm-hmm. one card with explore at common or uncommon so that was almost non-existent you didn't need to worry about that treasure was a major player and ascend the new mechanic you know we were the jury was a little out on that but ended up being a huge player in the format right i think some of those blue based ascend control decks ended up being some of the best decks in the format oh for sure yeah i actually remember like our first episode after i had done i think the pre-release at like a local game store coming back and being like i think snubhorn sentry is a thing like i just remember that being like a one mana three three by like turn six most of the time so i felt like we were we were kind of on ascend pretty early but even in our crash course we're like i don't know like is how often are you gonna get the city's blessing in games of magic and it turns out pretty often yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think if you're able to peg, I know I remember you coming back and saying that about Stumphorn Sentry. And I remember being like, nah, that card's still not good. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> and it ended up being like, I think, like a C, a rock solid C. Yeah. So if you can identify those mechanics early on, like Exert from Amonkhet sticks out, like if you can identify which mechanics are key for limited and know how to use them and build around them, I think that can give you a huge edge early on in the first, you know, week to two of a format if you figure that out before other people. Yeah, I think not only like, like, is the mechanic going to be relevant, but also like, what does that mean for the format? So like, what does the fact that Ascend and City's Blessing is a major player in the format mean? Well, it probably means it's going to slow down and you're going to value like these cards that create two permanents for one, like Sailor of Means, like Squire's Devotion, are going to be more powerful because of just that base fact that they do create two things at once. I think like figuring those things out, seeing how those things stem is hard to do, but if you can force yourself to figure it out, it's going to give you a big leg up. Yeah, and then once the the full spoiler is released, I think you want to try to read, at least me personally, I, I, I tend to wait until the full spoiler's out before I actually like search out spoiler cards hmm. uh, and try to grasp any major themes of the set. So obviously I'm on Twitter like 20 times a day, so mm-hmm. I see all of the, the preview cards that come up on Twitter, but I don't actually go look at the full spoiler until the full thing's released on Friday because I want to have the framework in my head of what the set's trying to look like. So I'm trying to, when I sit down and look at that full spoiler, just try to pick out any large themes that there are in the set yeah there there's a a tendency i think in the magic community and it feels like this has happened at least enough in the past year that i've been pretty active in twitch and twitter that before the full spoilers dropped during spoiler season everyone's really excited like yes oh man these cards look so cool like this format looks like it's going to be really sweet and that's because most of the cards that get spoiled are mythics rares and uncommons and so I get a lot of questions of people like, oh, what do you think of the new set so far? What do you think it looks like? And it's like, well, I have no idea because we haven't <laughs> seen any commons yet. Like 
I don't know what most of the limited format is going to look like because we haven't had any comments released. So I would warn you, listener, if, if you have a tendency to get really hyped about the set before the full spoiler drops, is to just like notice the rarity of the cards you're looking at and realize that if it's rare or uncommon, you're not going to see these cards too often. And so that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to shape the format the way you think it will. Yeah, and if we take a look back at this in the context of Rivals of Ixalan, let's, let's say you're sitting down to look at the Rivals of Ixalan spoiler for the first time, you can obviously see that the set's tribal, right? Like merfolk, pirates, dinosaurs running around. You could see a lot of Ascend. You could pick out that that was going to be a major theme that was still tribal after coming from Ixalan, you know, even more, you know, the merfolk lord at Uncommon, the vampire lord at Uncommon. We also picked out that there were a cycle of good, aggressive, evasive two drops mm-hmm. in like red, blue, and green. And, you know, that sort of framed coming from Ixalan, which was blazing fast. And I think that was actually a false clue for us that we figured out pretty early that those aggressive two drops were not as good as they maybe appeared to be. Mm-hmm. And then there was great removal. And that stood true for the entire format, right? Yeah. The good removal in every color really helped slow the format down. I think we underestimated that coming into Rixalon, coming into Rivals <laughs> from Ixalan. You know, we we definitely noticed all the removal was a mana cheaper, right? You look from Contract Killing to Impale. You look from Pious Interdiction to Luminous Bonds. You get an introduction of a new removal spell in Blue and Water Knot. There's Moment of Craving. Like, there was just a lot of good, good removal floating around. And I think we, even at the start, underestimated that and pretty quickly course corrected. But that's definitely going to be a clue for me moving forward, looking at at how removal matches up to the average creature in the set. Yeah, and I think taking a look at the full spoiler is super important because having a big picture view of the set helps you once you sit down. Like if you can kind of get some major themes of the set in your brain from looking through the whole spoiler, it helps you evaluate individual cards a lot more accurately, I think, as well. Yeah, so, you know, obviously we don't expect you as a listener to grade every card on your own. But I will say that forcing myself to do that for the podcast has made me better at card evaluations and made me feel like when I sit down for my first draft that I have already sort of played with these cards because I've formed an opinion about each and every one of them. So if you're not going to maybe grade it yourself, I might encourage you to, if you're going to listen to, say, the limited resources, like full card-by-card set review, maybe like click the pause button before they say their grade and give your grade in your head. Like see how your grade matches up with theirs. I think just like forcing yourself to make an evaluation of something before getting the influence of someone else whose opinion you respect is just going to improve your evaluation skills for future sets, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I can say I always did what you were talking about when I listened to the limited resources set review. I would try to guess what I thought the card was. Uh, I didn't actually pause, but you know, while they would read the card, I would think, oh, that's a C plus or that's a B minus. Mm-hmm. And I'd usually be within half a grade of Marshall and LSB. It's very different. I think if you're really a serious spike, it's very different sitting down with no one with a spreadsheet filling in grades for every card. And I think it's super helpful. So if you want to do that, if you're that type of person, I am certain sitting down to do that will make you better at the start of the format. But it's also a two-edged sword, right? Because if you're wrong and you're picking cards too highly, then that's like doing the opposite for your win rate. So you also have to be very flexible, right? Yeah, right. So if like if your grades end up being way off from podcasts or articles that you you read, try and identify why. Like did they make a mistake and you're right or is the reverse true, right? And do you need to learn from your mistakes? Were you too high on enchantment auras that buff the creatures and there's just like really good removal in the set so that would be a case for rivals of ixalan um, or vice versa is the removal clunky and so you were valuing removal because you think removal is good but really you wanted to get auras and equipment higher in your pick orders that sort of thing and if you think that you have differences with with us for sure like we're always up up for those kinds of discussions on on twitter on twitch and our email, like all that stuff, you know, we're, we're very accessible and very open to hearing feedback from, from our community, because I think we, we respect a lot of, of your guys' opinions. Yeah. And discord as well. Patrons oh, yeah. uh, hit us up there and on stream too. Just if you just want to fire off a question, like, why do you think this card's good? Like, Oh, what was that terrible blue card that I was way too high on? Imaginary threats. Imaginary oh threats. <laughs> yeah. And then when we're wrong, they tend to follow us around. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had Striped Riverwinder as like the best blue common in Hour of Devastation. Oh god, that was great. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So so after you grade every card individually, if you are that kind of a sicko, I think the next step to do, and we do this on the show, is to try and identify the top commons and uncommons in each color. Why is this important? This is really hard. You know, when we've (laughs) when we've started doing the podcast, and it's frequently the hardest, I think, to pick the card that goes in slot number three. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it really forces you, besides just giving a grade, you know, let's say you give a couple cards a B minus and a C plus, or maybe you give three cards in a color a B minus a common, or three cards a C plus in a color mm-hmm. a common. Like knowing the order of those three cards is super important to getting an edge in draft, right? There is a tier of those cards, I think, that ends up settling out by the end of the format. So getting that ahead of time can give you a, a huge edge. Yeah, for sure. I also think figuring out that pick order, but also figuring out like, redundancy in that pick order because oftentimes like the first third best common is what you want but do you want like the second copy of that card before you want the first of another card I mean, we also we talked about like impales and moment of cravings a lot like i want the first impale over the first moment of craving but then i probably want the first moment of craving over the second impale maybe or like i want the first one over the third one that sort of thing i think also understanding that that it's not always like white and black like this is they're cut and dry like this is the one i want over this other card every single time. That's not often how draft works. So also understanding like this is better than this card, except if other factors are in play, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think one other takeaway for me from these top commons and uncommons, especially from Ixalan, is that it's super important to remain flexible with your common rankings at the beginning of the format, especially if you're losing. Like, right, we were struggling at the beginning of Ixalan, mm-hmm. and we just kept picking those clunky, expensive removal spells. I know I did. Like, for yeah. a while, I picked Stormfleet Pyromancer as my top red common for a while, and Unfriendly Fire as my second best red common for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was losing because of it, like, to people that had identified that. You know, Fathom Fleet Firebrand, the one in a red 2-2 was just way better than those cards. So you've got to make sure that you're being flexible and open-minded with regard to these top uncommon rankings, especially at the start of the format. Yeah, that comment about like, especially if you're losing early in a format, that's really when you need to reevaluate what cards you're taking. Like look back at your draft logs, look back at the games, like the matches, like what are you losing to? What are your opponents doing that you're not able to combat or that you're not doing yourself? Uh, I remember, yeah, in, in Ixalan when like there was just that turning point, there was this one draft when Ryan was in chat, Ryan Sachs, and I just like let him guide the draft basically. I'd be like, this is what I'm going to take. And he'd say, no, 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 take this, take one with the wind, take dive down, whatever. And I would, it like hurt my soul to do it. I was like, this can't be right, but I'm not doing well and you are, and you are confident. So I'm just going to like follow along. And it took like two drafts of that before I was like, okay, I see what I'm not doing that is leading me to lose or that I'm not doing this. And if I were, it would lead me to win. Absolutely. And I think another thing that's helpful about having picked out these top commons and uncommons in your mind ahead of time, you know, when you your first few drafts of a format, especially if you haven't spent a lot of time with the spoiler, it can be overwhelming looking at a whole pack of cards and trying to read them all in 60 seconds or whatever the timer is on Magic Online. So if you've already identified your top commons and uncommons, you know, you can definitely already have those cards picked out as signals. Well, like if I see this top red common, you know, fourth or fifth pick, maybe that means red, red is open. Maybe I'm going to try to move into that in my first draft here. So it can just help guide your first few drafts as well. Just give it a little more structure. Mm -hmm. So I also think at the start of a format, I'm just getting so jonesed for a new set coming out in a few weeks. But I think at the start of a new format, it's also important for you not only to be strong with your own opinions, but to be hungry for other people's opinions on the format and compare them to your own. So there are, there's our podcast, obviously. So you're, you're here, you're in in a good spot for that. Limited resources. LSV does a limited set review uh, and grades all the cards on CFB. And he also then gives like his top few commons in each color for limited. There's men from moto podcast, Uh, Travis and Dave do a great, like sort of their version of a crash course on the set. Streamers do their own set reviews. There are tons of places for you to get card by card evaluations or big picture evaluations of new set. And I think as many of those as you can get as many opinions to either confirm your own opinions or to differentiate from your own opinions to give you a different taste or a different spin or view on the set is really important and really going to give you a big leg up on other people who just sort of like sit down and open their packs and read the cards for the first time. Absolutely. And you and Simulan are going to be doing one of those streamer set reviews, right? Yeah, that's right. So me and uh, and Travis Semulin on Twitch are going to be teaming up Friday morning. The set's going to drop and we're going to hop on Twitch together and we're going to review the whole set, commons, uncommons, rares. I'm going to try and record that hopefully for YouTube, but we'll also, that'll be great. I think for us just to get his, I'll get his ideas in real time on the cards and be able to bring that to our crash course, because I think he has really good, strong ideas about limited. And I think he also evaluates cards differently than we do. Yeah, absolutely. 
but yeah, there's just like, so that's another example of like, I'm hungry for that. I'm really excited to like talk about the set in depth with you and also talk about the set in depth with him. And I would encourage you to even do that with just your friends. Like that's a, a another great resource you have. If you have magic peers at your local game store or friends or whatever, I think those are like all tools in your arsenal for evaluating new cards. Yeah. And when you talk to those people, you can easily identify differences and ask them why they evaluated the card that way. So if you and Travis are sitting down and he gives a card a B and you give it a D, you know, you can come to a consensus like fairly quickly. I think if you've got two reasonable people that have good arguments, that's one of the things I like most now about our grade, our crash course is when we discuss our cards that have great differences. And I think it becomes pretty clear that most of the time, one of the two of us is closer with our grade to what is correct and is able to convince the other. It's so rare that we leave that discussion going, no, that you stick with B and I stick with D and we just go, we'll have to see how it is. Like almost always it's like, no, you're right. Okay. That is that good. Or (laughs) nope, nope. Yep. I just had to hear you discuss it. And now I see how bad that is. I like how you also gave me the B grade and you the D grade because that's frequently what happens. Yeah, you were like, like sword point diplomacy <laughs> is really good. And I was like, that no, is, no, no, no. that is not get, true. Get out of here. <laughs> Fake news. I gave sword point diplomacy like a C, right? Or something? Yeah. And, it, it, was an, and, it, and it was an F. So yeah, yeah. there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think the other thing that comes from seeking out multiple sources of information is like an aggregate rating of grades or an order of commons is probably going to be way more accurate than one person's opinion, right? If you get five people's opinions and average them out, that's most likely going to be closer to the truth, assuming all five of those people are competent magic players. Yeah, for sure. And presumably the people you listen to or the people who write articles are on a a similar skill level or perhaps better than you. So value those people's opinions, but don't take them as fact, right? You don't need to just like take our word for it, take Marshall and Luis's word for it. I think challenging those ideas or being like, wow, I really just think that that evaluation of that card is wrong based on X, Y, and Z in this format. Great. That's part of the information for your arsenal going into the format and you can trust your gut. But then again, as we said before, if, if that leads you down a path that is perhaps not yielding the best winning results, maybe time to reevaluate. So the full set gets spoiled. It's out. We're doing our drafts on Magic Online. We're doing our drafts at the pre-release. What are we doing? Your first few drafts, I think it's super important to identify an open color pair and just try to draft the best deck you can in a two-color pair, like trying to use synergy from the format. I would try to not get super fancy in my first few drafts. I think often you can win in the beginning of the format if you just pick good cards and have a plan. Like it doesn't even have to have flashy bomb rares because so many people are floundering around and have no idea what they're doing or, you know, maybe have three to four cards in their deck that are super suboptimal that if you can just like play good cards, two color pair, have good mana, have a plan, know what you're trying to do. You know, you can 3-0 some drafts pretty early on in the format just that way. Yeah, for sure. I think it's super important when you're in those early stages of a format, your first few drafts, to pay basically as much attention to your own deck as your opponent's deck and the cards that are most effective for them and least effective for them. So this allows you to evaluate and see four decks and different cards in one draft, right? You're going to see your own deck in three rounds and you're going to see three different opponents in all of those rounds. And you get to see like, oftentimes it's so funny for me when I'm like, uh, I remember very distinctly from Hour of Devastation, Champion of Wits. That I feel like everyone knows what that card is because it's like a standard powerhouse now too, but that's the two in a blue, two one, comes into play, you draw cards equal to its power and discard two cards. And then it has Eternalize for five blue, blue, I think. So it comes back as a four, four, and then you draw four and discard two. And I was like, I don't know, this seems like pretty bad. Like three mana, two, one is so bad. And all it doesn't like get net you cards. It's just like you draw and loot. So you get like, you get two loots. Is that even that good? And I remember the first time my opponent just played it and I was like, oh, that's great. Oh, they just got to draw two and discard two. And for some reason, I just couldn't evaluate that in my head. But as soon as I saw it hit the battlefield, I knew immediately how powerful that card was. So really pay attention to those things and take note of them if they're going to change your evaluations of cards or your rankings of cards. And similarly, I think things could happen where a card hits the battlefield and you go, wow, that didn't do nearly what I thought it would do. That do- did way less than I expected that card to do. I need to need to check that again in my my rankings. Yeah, and I think that's bringing up those rankings and pick orders is also 
super important, right? Because I remember in Triple Ixalan, you know, I was doing that, but I wasn't changing how it evaluated where I was picking the cards. Like I remember mm. losing to Pirates Gutless like the first two weeks of Triple Ixalan lots and thinking, yeah, I lost to Pirates Gutless. Yeah, I lost to Pirates Gutless again. Did I start picking Pirates Gutless higher? Nope, not till Sasha and Ryan told me to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like just if you can identify cards that are beating you, try to pick them a little higher and see if it works out for you. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like you get stuck in this idea of like, yeah, that's a good card, but I don't need to take it that early. Like, I shouldn't have to take it first, second, third pick. Pirate's Cutlass should be coming later to me. Yeah, but if if you're losing to it, you probably need to be taking it higher. Yep. So after your first two drafts, you're you're in the format for a week or two, 15 to 20 drafts into a format. What's going on there? You're trying to develop a picture of what some of the better decks are in the format and why those are the better decks. So some examples from Rivals of Ixalan, I think these were some of the top decks in the format. White-Black Vampires, Blue-Based Ascend decks, Red-Green Dinos. I think those were all very, very strong decks. And what makes them so strong? So for example, White-Black Vampires, here's why. Here's my pitch for why White-Black Vampires was one of the best decks in the format. I think it could play the late game as well as any late game deck because it had so much good synergy and so much grind to it. It had access to things like Recover. It had some of the best removal in the format in Impale and Luminous Bonds. But it also was just capable of curving out and beating you down too. So even a medium white black deck could play like the aggressive mid-range late parts of the game all super well. And I think that was the deck that had the widest range for where it was good in all aspects of the game. Like it was good curving out. It was good in the middle of the game. It was good grinding late game. And I think it was just kind of head and shoulders by the end of the format above the rest of the decks. And there were so many deep playables in white and black as well. Like just the commons and uncommons were super deep. I cannot tell you over the past few weeks how many people have posted winning decks on Twitter and in our Discord or posted them in Twitch, and they're all white-black vampires deck. I'm so sick of looking at 3-0 <laughs> decks from Rivals of Ixalan and seeing like, oh yeah, you have three Legion Conquistadors. Oh yeah, you got a Legion Lieutenant. Oh, you have two Impales. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Like, yeah, that deck is absurd, and it's so deep. It was so possible to get that deck a lot of the time and have it be really good. All right, I got three words for you about why blue-based Ascend decks were great in Rivals of Ixalan. Lay it on me. Sailor of Means. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) But really, though, I mean, this card helped you Ascend. It held the ground while other cards in your deck got there in the air, like Spirewinder, like Kitesail Corsair, like Mausoleum Harpy if you're blue-black, like Suncrested Pterodon if you were blue-white. It really just let you splash around for powerful cards that were off color, used the Ascend mechanic to its best ability, got you the City's Blessing quickly, and took advantage of it in the best way possible. And I think if you can exploit those new mechanics, as we talked about earlier, like what is a mechanic that's a major player? Well, City's Blessing felt like the most major player in terms of mechanics in Rivals of Ixalan. And so if you can get there, if you can take advantage of that and be in the color pair or shard that wants to exploit that mechanic, I think you're going to have a lot of success in a format. Absolutely. And I think Sailor of Means is a perfect example of, you know, I remember you thinking that Sailor of Means was going to be worse in Rivals of Ixalan, like in the set review and early on. And then you quickly identified that it was way better and started picking it absolutely highly again and ended up with like 300 of them at the end of Rivals of Ixalan. (laughs) like a normal human being does yeah but just your ability to you know pivot and change your change your picture of that card early on in the format i think helped lead to some early success for you yeah for sure and conversely you're also trying to you know like 15 to 20 drafts into the format trying to identify decks and strategies that might be worse than the rest of the field and why that's the case so i think you know between like around 25 to 30 drafts into I was about that far into Rivals of Ixalan when we came out with our Avoiding the Aggro Trap episode, like it was maybe like the second, third week of the format. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of decided that Blue Red and Blue Black Pirates were just worse than the other decks in Rivals of Ixalan and kind of laid out why for everyone, because there were the tools to fight those aggro decks. They didn't mulligan very well. So being able to pick out traps like that to avoid and letting other people draft those decks and just plan to beat those decks. And I think a lot of people were on those decks maybe as some of the best decks in the format early on. You mean uh, Blue Red and Red Black, not Blue Black, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, I do mean Red Black. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. just being clear, because I was like, I like Blue Black, but I did not like, what was that, Dire Fleet, whatever the... Neckbreaker, yeah. Neckbreaker, oh, that card, just the worst. No, just the card, the that worst. card's great. The deck that it goes in is just the worst, right? Yeah, yeah, th- that's true. If you drew your Dire Fleet Neckbreaker, your Red Black deck was insane, but you had to draw your ne- Dire Fleet Neckbreaker. And you had to play so many atrocious cards around it. Yes, <laughs> like, that was the problem, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's so funny because I think that avoiding the aggro trap was sort of like our 
turning point in Rivals. And I think around the same time as when we had our beard episode for Ixalan, like we were like slumping, 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 and then had Sasha and Ryan like sort of show us the light of beard. And then we like sort of compart, like put that into a nice, neat little package and, and put it on the podcast. But so we, we've, we've now seemed to have those like experiences over and over again with these sets where like come in hot and then like our initial evaluations maybe aren't holding water anymore and then figuring out like what the key to the format is or what the new way to evaluate cards is. Absolutely. And then 20 plus drafts for those of you out there that are like us or 80 plus drafts or whatever. What's going on there, Ethan? So I think you want to continue again to try and identify ways to gain small edges over the competition in the format. So like if everyone's trying to zig a certain best deck, maybe you can zag a draft deck that is open or that matches up well against what everyone wants to do. So you're you're still, you know, it's not like it goes, okay, cool, we're avoiding the aggro trap. And now it's just Dirtle Central, as much as I would like that to be true. If everyone is on this, like Rivals is not a curve format and I'm like, dirtling hard well can you combat that well how do you combat that maybe flyers is the way to get ahead there maybe there is a good evasive aggro deck i remember feeling like when people got the good curve out merfolk decks that was like my least favorite thing when people went like island miscloaked herald i kind of groaned a little bit because i was like i don't know if i can beat this deck if if this island miscloaked herald is telling me what i think it is about this deck i'm gonna have a hard time beating this if i'm on like a you know blue x sailor ascend deck because those decks often just came out swinging and had a lot of cheap threats that my removal didn't match up well against I remember really specifically in Hour of Devastation. So we we identified pretty early on that these like multicolor green good stuff decks were one of, if not the best decks in the format based around uh, the fixing that you got from Oasis Ritualist and then in the last pack, Gift of Paradise. And there was also just a lot of fixing abound in that format with Evolving Wilds and Traveler's Amulets. And oh, the format's so good. <laughs> format was so good. I've gone back and drafted it on stream a few times in the past week, few weeks. It's It just still holds up. I really, I do think that's my, my favorite limited format of all time. But anyway, then that sort of like became common knowledge. You know, we did an episode about that. Limited Resources did an episode about that. It felt like everyone was just sort of on this like multicolored good stuff deck and oasis ritualist was one of the best commons and you just couldn't get a green deck to save your life for about two to three weeks to the extent that i would just avoid even if like ambuscade was the best card in the pack if oasis ritualist was the best card in the pack i would avoid it and take something else because i didn't feel like fighting against three or four other people at the table for a green deck i would just be like all right you guys can fight over this your decks are all going to not be good and i'll figure out what's open if blue black cycling is open if green white exert is open something like that but i think you need to be really flexible and fluid about that if something is really taking hold of the meta in a way at your local game store in the intermediate leagues in the competitive leagues whatever you're playing in if something is really taking hold of the meta in that way then you need to find a way to avoid that or to subvert that or counter that in a way that is effective and going to be a winning strategy for you absolutely so that kind of wraps up our, you know, step-by-step guide to approaching a new, you know, normal quote-unquote draft format, whatever is going to be the competitive draft format for the next few months. And Cube is out right now, Modern Cube. Yes. This is like the first week of Modern Cube has been out. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to do a pitch here, you know, if Modern Cube is or Cube in general is daunting for you, how to sit down and learn a new format like Cube. Yeah, and even if Cube is not daunting for you, I think you can just remember to apply these principles to a cube when it comes out you know every time a cube comes out on magic online they do card changes you know they'll they'll swap out 5 10 15 20 depends on how, how many you know they made a pretty big shift here with with the re uh, introduction of modern cube this time around but then you can try and make predictions about what those changes mean for the format so you know don't just hop into the queues maybe take a moment to look at the the cards being swapped in and out and and see how that's going to change and can you get a leg up on the cube this time around based on those card changes. So cube is very, very daunting if you've never done it before, especially if you're a newer magic player. I totally understand that. But this is, as Ben said, you said this is like, it's like eating dinner and not wanting chocolate cake. If you are a limited <laughs> drafter and you don't like cube, it's I just like it's hard for me because those two things just don't seem to go together. Cube is the best format, in my opinion. It's the most fun way to draft. And so if you haven't done it, if you're daunted by it, let's try it and pitch people. So there are things that you can do 
to try and like ease in. And I think one of the ways to do that is to watch videos on, you know, any, any place we, we, Ben and I certainly grew up on channel fireball draft videos, watch streamers like me and Ben that have a, a small enough audience that we can answer your specific questions. There are a ton of streamers out there that are often in our chats, but that you'll often find us in their chats as well. So there's a, a plethora of people out there who will be drafting cube and that are going to have small enough audiences where you can ask questions and, and prod them and get their feedback. So why is that important? It's super important because Hube's way harder to learn because you're going to presumably be competing against people that have already learned the format. Like when you step step into Cube, you might be playing against Ethan or I, and we've been cubing for like five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it might be your first draft, which is not like particularly fair to you, but that's kind of the barrier to entry to the format, right? Yeah. So you just have to overcome that hurdle. And once you do, then you're going to be in the in the cool kids club or the, the good old boys <laughs> club, as they say, Yeah. with everybody else. And it sort of feels like Cube is that way. And maybe like that's why people are a little reticent. Like it does feel a little bit like a good old boys club. But mm-hmm. it, once you become a part of that club, it's so so, 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 so fun. Yeah. It really is worth it. Don't get scared off by the fact that, you know, even though it's your first draft and you might be playing against someone whose 50th draft it is, you can still win. The cards are powerful. You play powerful cards and they're better than your opponents. You know, you're going to beat them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big thing to remember is that, yes, there are, are currently, there's like three different cubes on Magic Online that they offer in rotation, this modern cube, legacy cube, and vintage cube. The base principles for each cube and a lot of the cards that appear in each cube have a, a pretty big overlap. So I think once you learn like the kinds of cards that are in cube, once you're introduced to another cube, yeah, maybe there's like, oh, now this is a vintage cube. And so there's a storm archetype in there and I got to figure out what that is. But I would, you know, just wait till you play against that deck to see how it goes or wait till you watch someone draft that deck or and play with that deck to see how it goes. You don't need to dive in there immediately. But there are going to be a pretty big overlap of like, oh yeah, there's a reanimation deck here and I know the pieces and I, oh, I've seen these cards before. And oh, interesting. There's chart of course is in the modern cube i remember that card from rivals of Ixalan. how does that match up here oh well it can be a discard outlet for a reanimation spell or or it's just a card draw spell for a blue red tempo aggro deck or something like that you know like but there's not going to be this like every time a cube comes out oh man i gotta learn 540 new cards like once once you're in the club as ben said you're in So some benefits of cubing and why it's worth it. It's going to be lifelong once you know how to do cube, as Ethan was just talking about. And if you, you know, there's also financially, it makes more sense than drafting whatever the current limited set is as well. If you 2-1 again in cube, the entry fee on Magic Online is 10 ticks. You get to play again for free. You get 100 play points back, which is what you put in. If you 3-0, you make 150% back of your entry fee. So it costs you 10 ticks. You get 15 tickets back. Mm -hmm. If you 1-2, you only have to pay $6 for your next draft, which is a great deal. That's like going 2 Two one essentially in whatever the current limited format is. Uh-huh. If you can get good at it, like lots of times, like even I'm pretty close to going infinite now, I think in the current limited formats. But mm-hmm. prior to that, the only way I could go like sort of infinite or whatever was whenever cube was out because two one get you a free draft. So I would find myself spending lots less money on Magic Online, you know, in my early 20s when Cube was out versus whatever the current limited format was out, because I was only doing maybe like 10, 15, 20 drafts of the current limited format in those days. Yeah. Cube always feels like a nice, like, relaxer for your wallet, because I'm like, all right, I can, the next, I can coast for the next three weeks on Magic Online. <laughs> Absolutely. I think there's a lot of nostalgia value there, too, at least for me, like as somebody that grew up with the game, you get to play with Magic's most iconic cards as well. Yeah, for sure. I think if you're a fan of uh, constructed, which is a word I I don't like to say very often. (laughs) The C word. The C word. (laughs) But playing cube is often like playing a sort of like, I don't know, singleton version of some of constructed's best decks. Like you get the opportunity to really draft a deck with a plan. You know, you get to draft an archetype. You get to draft something that maybe existed in uh, some sort of golden age of standard in the past or a a deck that exists in in a, a modern format or a a legacy format, that sort of thing. I also think that Cube and to a similar extent, the master sets that we've now grown accustomed to receiving every year, they make you a better drafter, full stop. So in Cube, you get to learn about drafting a deck with a plan. And we did a couple episodes about that previously for Rivals of Ixalan. So, but drafting a deck with a plan and a deck with synergies rather than a pile of good cards is very apparent in Cube. It's way easier to see like, ah, yes, I'm drafting a green ramp deck. 
that's what I'm doing. So I need some mana dorks and I need some top end. And so you, as you're drafting, you figure out, oh, I, oh do I, what do I need? Do I need another seven drop or do I need another one mana dork? And, and as you're figuring that out, those are questions you should be asking yourself when you're drafting any format. But you get used to asking those questions way quicker in cube. You learn to value lands as powerful draft picks. Lands are pretty high picks in, uh, in cube sets. And uh, you'll see us drafting them pretty highly. And you'll see us also valuing lands highly in, in formats where they're viable. So Evolving Wilds was a pretty high pick for us in Rivals of Ixalan. And I don't know if I would have known that had I not had such a, a high experience with cube. Um, you get comfortable splashing for a third color or building complicated mana bases for four color and five color decks. That ties back into the land picks as well. Figuring all that out happens way quicker in cube. There are important skills that carry over to regular limited formats. So if you are a drafter, if you want to get better at drafting, I think cube is the way to do that. And I think watching, you know, other people draft cube before you draft yourself just allows you to like sort of absorb some of the cards in cube, lets you learn, lets you see some of the cards in action before drafting on your own. And there are a lot of standard decks in cube, you know, that are go-to decks and they're slightly different every time, but you know, there are mono red decks, there are mono green decks or whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know this watching thing works out because my older brother, Adam, you know, Masters 25 was out. He did not do a single Masters 25 draft. He just watched me on stream some. He listened to the podcast, like our few episodes on Masters 25. And then towards the end of the format, he called me up one Saturday and was like, hey, let's sit down and do a draft. And we drafted over Skype. And he like could navigate the draft well, like he had been playing the format, but he hadn't at all. It was his first draft, but he already knew, okay, like this is good. Okay, this goes in that blink deck. Like if you'll just watch our streams and listen to the podcast and go check out our modern cube crash course from way back when, mm -hmm. one of our earlier episodes, you know, you're going to pick up a lot of stuff and be way more comfortable in your first cube draft. So I would definitely advocate for watching before hopping into cube. Yeah. And that thing holds true about the, the archetypes are going to show up in multiple cubes every time. Like every cube is going to have a mono red aggro deck. There's going to be a white weenie deck. Uh, there's going to be a green ramp deck. There's probably going to be a mono black deck, though I feel like it has a bit of an identity crisis in this current modern cube. Oh, really? I think mono black's great in this modern cube. Oh, I can't wait. Wait, so wait, what is mono, <laughs> mono, what is mono black trying to do in this cube? It's trying to play Gary and like Phyrexian Obliterator and whatever the, what's the land that ramps in Nykthos, Shrine to Nyx, like to get a uh -huh. bunch of mana, Cryptgast. That's how you cast Gristlebrand in the mono black deck with like Cryptgast or Nykthos. So it's a mid-range deck. Yes, like mid-range value grind. Yeah, I think so. I remember uh, a few iterations ago, and this was probably my favorite mono black deck that ever exists in a cube, but there was, they had uh, both Zulaport Cutthroat and Blood Artist in the cube with like a oh, bunch of yeah. sacrifice outlets and a bunch of like token makers. That was like my favorite deck to draft. That was a really fun deck. I wish they would they would do that again. But yeah, um, so usually I have like a monocolored deck of each color, not really mono blue. Sometimes you'll see in cubes that there'll be like a mono blue devotion kind of theme to a deck with like Nightville Spectre and Thassa, that kind of thing. And then you get into the color pairs, you know, like blue, green, good stuff. Sometimes that's a ramp deck, like ramp and card draw, tempo deck, uh, white, black, cheap disruption, sometimes white, black tokens, blue, black control, blue black reanimate blue white control or blue white chions usually leveraging like counter spells and wrath effects blue red combo can often be a deck if there's like a splinter twin combo or the kiki jiki combo or maybe sneak attack and show and tell with some big fatties black green is often known as like rock or like a value deck that's looking to just like go two for one get like maybe some some ramp into some big fatties leverage the removal from black that sort of thing uh, you can get a black red control deck to leverage all the good removal red white aggro sort of taking the best of both worlds from the mono red aggro deck and the white weenie deck planeswalker control that seems to be a pretty big archetype in this modern cube sometimes you get like blue green combo stuff with opposition or upheaval that sounds like a lot but like once you know what those archetypes are they're gonna show up over and over and over again yeah, and I think they're similar to constructed decks, right? I mean, yes. a blue black control. If you play blue black control in standard, you know what cards to pick if you want to build a blue black control deck in modern cube. Right, and most probably, like I would say, like ninety five times out of a hundred, if you just sit down to the modern cube and say, "I want to draft blue black control," and you pick blue black control cards, you're gonna end up with a good blue black control deck. Like you can just kind of pick what you want to do. Every once in a while, you'll get cut out of it, but I think those times are few and far between. 
So there are some non-intuitive things that you have to pick up in Cube. We keep talking about like, well, it's like the same. It's the same. It's like this. There are some non-intuitive things compared to normal draft. And one of those is lands are better than you think, and they're higher picks than you think. The reason is that drafting lands allows you to play more of the cards you drafted in your deck. And having good mana can be the difference between a 3-0 and a 2-1. This was like the biggest level up I feel like I ever learned about cube and drafting in general. Like when someone was like, well, if you get to... If you draft lands and you get to play 30 of your 45 cards in your deck, you're getting to play more powerful things than your opponent who drafted 20, who was only playing 23 of their 45 cards drafted and then just playing 17 basic lands. Lands are a high pick. Lands were high picks in the master sets. When there were cycling lands in Hour of Devastation, those were super high picks. I think like all of those cycling lands were probably like number two or number three sometimes in the common rankings for those colors. Like they were just such great options for your decks because you just got to play more of your draft picks and you're going to get color screwed a lot less often as well like frequently cube has like double colored three drops double colored four drops and casting those cards on curve versus a turn or two late is definitely the difference between winning and losing a game so as opposed to having like nine and eight colored sources of your two base colors if you can have 12 and 11 thanks to a duel and you know like a couple fetches your deck is just like a whole half a tier or a whole tier better than it would be without those lands yeah some decks like like white black comes to mind a lot like when you want to go like liliana on turn three into like gideon ally of zendikar on turn four godless shrine or scrubland is almost it's often going to be like the best card in your deck because it's going to be one of the only tools that will allow you to do that kind of curving and there are plenty of playables that's the other thing right yeah so like you just you end up with a deck like you said where you're playing 30 of your 23 cards as opposed to 23 with a sideboard of like 15 white and black cards right that are good but not as good as the cards in your deck Another thing that frequently comes up is that large flashy monsters are not at a premium. So like almost any five through seven drop creature in cube can be used to close out the game. There are some that stand above the others. Like for example, the Titans in this modern cube, I will Mm -hmm. pick quite highly, but other than that, and the five drops especially get like super interchangeable. It just doesn't matter whether you have a Baneslayer angel or, you know, I don't even know the names of the other angels, whatever angel you've got in your five drop slot will be fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I, you really want to, be considering your curve when you're drafting cube because i say this a lot on stream but finishers are a dime a dozen again some of them are a significant cut above the rest like the titans but more often than not like you just want to take that mana rock you want to take that cheaper removal spell you want to take bitter blossom like something that is going to land earlier because you're gonna get those late picks like the four drop slot is where i think like from four on is where it gets like it can get really clogged if you go ooh that planeswalker ooh that powerful card ooh that wrath of god like and then all of a sudden you have nothing to do before turn four yep card draw and card selection spells are more powerful in cube than they are in regular sets because the quality of the cards you're finding go way up so compulsive research is i think a card that seems kind of innocuous but is really like one of the most powerful cards that blue has to offer that's two in a blue for a sorcery you draw three and then you discard two cards unless you discard a land so it's really powerful card draw and card selection for pretty cheap all the like one mana cantrips in blue go up because you're just getting to look at more powerful spells than you normally do in a regular limited set i think another thing is if you just kind of learn what some of the best build arounds in cube are that's another easy way to get into the format like if you can identify those build arounds get them early and then try to draft that deck unfortunately the modern cube doesn't have tons of build arounds or what i would consider normal cube build arounds Mm -hmm. but some of the ones that are in modern cube coalition relic it's like a three mana artifact that lets you tap to add a mana of any color to your mana pool and you can also like charge it up to double ramp you on the next turn Mm -hmm. that is a really powerful enabler for some multicolored control decks there's anthem effects in the modern cube like dictate of heliod this is three white white for a flash uh enchantment that gives your creatures plus two plus two uh, which is just a huge boost that really goes well in a tokens archetype just the cards knowing the cards that lead you into mono red like goblin guy the one mana two two haste gary the gray merchant of asphodel three black black for the two four that drains equal a number of devotion to black can lead you into mono black jace the mind sculptor can lead you into a blue control deck to blue blue for the planeswalker that's super busted can bounce a creature can brainstorm just does it all draga tree speaker can lead you into green ramp this is like single green for a one one or a one two or something that you can level up to tap to add two green to your mana pool kind of soul ring on a stick is how it's known kiki jiki can lead you into a combo deck the two red 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 that combos with deceiver might uh no deceiver exarch and pester might deceiver might uh, deceiver. I like it. I like <laughs> yeah it. that's their hollywood name 
<laughs> yeah, those go infinite. It's an infinite combo that kills your opponent on the spot. Just knowing what cards lead you into certain archetypes is great. And you'll figure that out super quickly if you watch our streams. Yeah. Because we talk about it all the time. Like, I'm going to, okay, I see this Kiki Jiki. I'm going to try to draft this deck. Or, okay, I see this Grey Merchant of Asphodel. I'm going to try to black draft Mono Black. And you'll pick up on that super quickly. Even if you don't know all the cards, you'll know, okay, this card leads me into this deck. And we're going to post a list of some cards that we think stand out for each color for you and we'll put that in the show notes so if if sometimes you open up a a pack of cube cards and they're all good it can seem pretty daunting so we'll give you a little outline here and obviously this is not like a hard and fast rule sort of thing this is certainly opinion based cube is where preferences come in so we're not saying this is like these are the top 10 best cards in white they're cards that that we find exciting that lead us into different white archetypes yeah, just to sort of make it more accessible. Like yeah. if you know, okay, these are cards are good. If I see these cards, maybe I should pick them and try to move into this color. Just to give you a guidepost, just to try to nudge you to try cube. Yeah. So to in, in that uh, sense of nudging, if someone is sitting down for their first ever cube draft of this mono cube, what advice would you give them? I would say draft a one or two color deck with a plan. I would not try to get fancy. If you just literally want to pick all white cards and try to draft a good white deck, you're probably going to have a good deck. If you want to draft a blue black control deck don't your first draft try to sit down and do something sweet that you see ethan or i doing on stream and sometimes we're not gonna be doing sweet things but occasionally we are Mm. Uh, probably more often than not probably you more often than me yeah (laughs) i have a sickness yeah another thing that comes up pretty often i think is prioritizing cheaper cards so if you've got a tough choice when in doubt pick the card that's cheaper and that's kind of a general rule of thumb for draft right but i think it becomes even more important in cube yeah for sure i think you want to plan to win But you got to be okay with losing. Odds are you're going to be up against someone with substantially more cube drafts under their belt than you have. And that's okay. Take the opportunity to not only see how your cards are playing out, but see what they're doing. Are you playing your mono white weenie deck and things are going well, but they've got some sweet multicolored brew over there, or they're, they're abusing a card that you didn't think was even playable. Like Crystal Shard is a card that seems to be going around. And I think that's one of the more powerful things you can do in modern cube. This is a three mana rock for an artifact that has three or blue tap return target creature to its owner's hand unless its controller pays one. And that's most often going to be used to rebuy your own ETB creatures or save them from removal, but it also can sometimes just mess with your opponent if they tap out. Sometimes it takes seeing those cards in play to realize how good they are, and I would take note of that as well. Absolutely. I bet you must play against Crystal Shard the first time you face it down. It takes it takes a little bit to get used to, like how much mana you need to leave available. Mm-hmm. But things like that, yeah. And I think just make sure you draft a deck would be my other piece of advice. Cubes full of cards that you can build a deck around. Just make sure you've got a deck that does something, a plan, an aggro deck, a control deck, a combo deck, whatever you're trying to do. Just make sure your first draft is a deck. Mm-hmm. You're a mono white deck. You're a black devotion deck. You're a black red removal deck. Whatever it is, just make sure you've got a plan because mm-hmm. your opponents will have a plan for sure. And I would stick with that focused plan for your next, whatever, 10 or so drafts. But be aware of what your opponent's doing. And I think one of my favorite things that I got to do when I first started cubing was I would get beaten by a deck, and then I would just hop in the queue and draft that deck. I remember the first time I saw like blue-green ramp upheaval. I was like, well, that's sweet. And then I just hopped back in the queue and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to draft a blue green ramp deck. So take note of what your opponents are doing and then try and recreate that. Try and get that as part of your drafting arsenal. Yeah. And as you go deeper and deeper, 10 drafts, 20 drafts, 30 drafts, start to explore more complex decks that interest you. There's like hundreds of different archetypes in cube interactions to learn. Whatever seems fun to you, do it. If you're in a different cube than this and there's birthing pod and you want to draft a birthing pod deck, go nuts. Yes, I do want to draft a birthing pod deck. I love (laughs) that deck. Oh, man. I mean, cube, cube is great. I cannot say enough that I really, really would encourage everyone to try it. And I think one of the biggest selling points is the financial thing. I was just thinking about it more while you were talking. Like if you owe three your first cube draft, it's only 10 bucks to do another one. That's cheaper than if you owe three or one to whatever the current draft format set is in the 622 Swiss choose on Magic Online, right? But even if you owe three, you get 10 play points back. You get, you, you get value for not winning a single match. Yeah. And then your next one's only $9. It just really is great. You should do it. <laughs> Can't say enough. And Ben and I both don't really like this modern cube. But can we talk about that for a minute? We can talk about that for a minute. <laughs> so we've been struggling, and I you were t- you were trying to put this into words yesterday on your stream that I was watching about like why you felt like you were struggling and and 
also like why that would mean I was struggling because we we have pretty similar things that we like to do in cube. This modern cube, especially now with the introduction of signets, so they've added like five more mana rocks to the cube. I don't understand what it's trying to do. You said this, you were like, it feels like there are 50 cards in the cube that are just miles above the rest of the cards. Yes, and drawing those cards leads to games playing out. Like when you draw those cards, you're much more likely to win the game. And I think the other thing I found in this modern cube is that there just are no good one and two drops or what I would consider good one and two drops. Yeah. But there's also just not ways to cheat on mana outside of green or the signets. So if you're not, like if you don't get signets or you don't get green mana elves, there just is no way for you to have a curve without playing bad cards in your one and two mana slots. Or what What are bad cards for cube, right? They're going to look like good cards, but they're really underpowered for cube. Mm-hmm. So I started having success. I just kept losing to people that were playing cards that I would just never put in my cube decks in a million years. Like somebody just playing a two mana, two, two first strike lifelink in white. Like that card's horrible in cube mm-hmm. or in in any normal cube but i think like there's several factors that i would say that lead to playing bad two drops is worth it in this cube and maybe even good i think the cube sort of revolves around planeswalkers like sticking a planeswalker and having a board presence before you land your planeswalker is great and having a board presence when your opponent lands their planeswalker is also great for you so even if your cards that you're affecting the board with are not premium or not like quote unquote good for cube, you just have to impact the board early. I think this is the Amaz cube. Like I think you want to play two mana, two twos, three mana, three threes, just cards. And they're going to have abilities because they're in cube, right? Mm-hmm. Even if they're underpowered from what you would normally think, just curving out before you play your planeswalker or having a curve out so that you can pressure your opponent's planeswalkers is really, really, really important in this cube. That, those are my thoughts. Those are my takeaways from when I finally started doing better. I just finally sucked it up and just said, I have to play two drops. I have to play three drops. That's just our subpar, and if, and that's okay. And I started winning more once I started doing that. Yeah, for sure. I drafted like this really, what I think is just so bad, a red-green aggro deck, because I had like sort of faced it a few times, and it really kind of performed well, like people going like mana dork into three drop into planeswalker into some hasty four drop like blood braid elf or hell rider and i was just like wait what is happening like usually green red decks are the sign of someone who like doesn't know how to draft cube because that's not usually an archetype so that was a successful deck for me yeah i just think ramping is one of the best things you can do like the signets are very strong because being able to go like signet on turn two into planeswalker on turn four turn three or turn three thank you yeah you're now a turn ahead of your opponent who's trying to drop their their four mana planeswalker for ramping into that with a, a mana dork or something but there's only five signets so if you don't get them you've got to play other two drops but there's prismatic lens and lens and mindstone i think i think there's there's a, f- a few other like two mana rocks but yeah you're right there's not a ton there's only only the, f- the few signets but at least as of yesterday the like saturday before we recorded the podcast people are not taking those cards highly <laughs> No, I don't think so. And the other thing I would say, the other thing I I tweeted about this last night, I think being proactive is way better than being reactive. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm playing a terrible Boros aggro deck right now, and it feels awful, and I'm just crushing everyone. And the cards I'm playing, I would never want to put in my deck in my entire life, but that's how I'm winning. (laughs) I finally just started picking cards that I would never want to put in my cube decks, and that's when I started winning in this format. (laughs) Well, that all that is to say, like, we may not be huge fans of this cube in general, but I think one, it's a great place to start. And two, we're still drafting it. We're still having fun. And I, there's like this competitive, the competitive spike in me when I lose in a format that doesn't make me want to stop playing that format. It like has the opposite effect on me because I'm like, I need to figure out what I'm doing wrong. I need to figure out how to change that so that I can start winning again. And I also think this cube might be friendlier to new cubers because I do think like mono white, mono red, mono green, mono black are some of the best decks in the cube. Mm-hmm. And I think like if you just draft a two color deck with a curve, like if you can play some two drops, play some three drops, play a planeswalker on four or five, I think you've got a great chance to win. So I do think this cube might be friendlier than normal for new players because I don't think there's room for tons of sweet busted stuff like there is in some other cubes. Yeah, outside of like you can kind of get like a mana rock wildfire deck, you can get the the kiki jiki combo but there's not a ton of like super busted like two card combination things that you're trying to do here all right ben it's time the preview cards the dominaria preview cards official lords of limited i'm so excited this is so cool this is very very cool thank you wizard of the coast for letting us participate in this spoiler season so without further ado we're going to get into our not one not two but three preview cards for dominaria 
All right, so the first one we're looking at is Baloth Gorger. This is two green green for a 4-4 beast at common, and it has kicker four, and if you pay the kicker when it ETBs, it comes into play with three plus one plus one counters on it. Yeah. So we've got a little split card here, either a four mana 4-4 or an eight mana 7-7. At common, a four mana 4-4 at common? That is large. That's a large. That's a big boy. Yeah. That is a big boy. That card seems really strong to me. It's got to be like C plus at least, I would think. I think so. I'm so excited for Kicker in Limited. Like having Mana Sinks on so many cards is going to make for a great Limited format, I think. I've not ever drafted seriously with Kicker. That was when I was on hiatus for Magic. Like I might have done one or two drafts with my brothers, but I've not played, like played, played a format with Kicker before. Kicker is a really interesting mechanic because I think it causes people to misplay a lot. Like just to not play their creature out? Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes people not play their creatures because they're like, oh yeah, but if I just wait a turn and I get to, if I get to eight mana, then it'll be a seven, seven when I'm like, I think, I think people will be less likely to misplay with this. I think it's like, mostly you're just going to cast this as a four mana, four, four. But like, I think there's going to be a lot of cards with kicker in the format that people are going to hold on to way longer than they should. Yeah, that's interesting. What's next? Next up, we've got Elfheim Druid. This is one and a green for an O2 Elf Druid at Uncommon with tap, add green to your mana pool or tap, add green green to your mana pool. Spend this mana only to cast kick spells if you're adding the double green. Ooh, so we've already got Llanowar Elves in the format for ramping, and that's a common. And now we have Elfheim Druid. Is this better or worse than Land of War Elves? Worse. Yeah, that's what I think too. Right? It's got to be. But it makes me excited. And we'll, when we see our next card, I think, uh, I wonder if that leads us to believe that this will be a deck. But it feels like there's going to be a maybe a Kicker Matters deck in the format. Or at least I'm hoping there will be. And maybe in that deck, Elfheim Druid is better. Yeah, for sure. All right, so that, that, that leads us to our, our next and last preview card, which is Halar the Fire Fletcher. This is one red green for a 3-3 legendary creature elf archer at uncommon. And it has trample. So it's a three mana 3-3 with trample. And it says, whenever you cast a spell, if that spell was kicked, put a plus one plus one counter on Halar the Fire Fletcher. Then Halar deals damage equal to the number of plus one plus one counters on it to each opponent. That is a beating. That is a beating, and that's a pretty spicy meatball. So you've already got like a three mana three three trampler. That's good. And then if you kick something, this becomes a this deals a damage to your opponent, and now it's a four four. That snowballs pretty quickly. I don't know how many like cheap kicker spells there are going to be in this format, but I hope there are. I hope there are things you can that like have kicker adds it up to being like four CMC or five CMC, so you can kind of like curve out with this guy. Yeah, could you imagine going like Lana War Elves this on turn two, kicker spell on turn three? Like that kicked for four. That would be oh disgusting. Oh my God, that's such a beating. <laughs> I hope that's possible. Yeah, it's. I think this card is going to be as good as there are four and five mana things that you can kick. Because if you've got to wait till seven or eight mana, it's going to be a little bit less exciting, I think, right? Right, because you can't really snowball with it. It's like, well, I got to kick one thing and it made it a four, four. And like, did it survive that long as a three, three to get to that? And like, then you're only dealing a damage. That's not super exciting to me. But if this can snowball, if you can do that dream curve thing, and the fact that there is Llanowar Elves at common and Elfheim Druid at uncommon, and who knows if there's other ramp uh, effects in red and green to take advantage of getting up to kicker, I think uh, I think these green ramp decks are going to be spicy. Looks sweet. I'm so glad that we got to do preview cards. I just feel like a little kid right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too, for sure. We also have our final business of our Rivals of Ixalan treasure hunt to attend to, Ben. What, what, what do we got to do here? First of all, we just want to say thank you to everybody that participated. This is like our, what, second iteration of this? Mm -hmm. And we had more people participate this time, and I assume we will keep having more into the future. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We just want to quickly shout out everyone that participated. This is Strix Familiar, Biz Biz Biz, Obdixilis, Tangent Measure, Generation D20. You're going to be hearing his name a lot (laughs) in the upcoming (laughs) things. Treasure Hunt King, Nikolai Bolas, The Flavor Judge, Lev Jabaili, Alex Nikolik, Jay Parnold. (laughs) Forever Jay Parnold, yeah. It's actually yeah. JP Arnold, but I mean, come on. He's forever <laughs> yeah. Jay Parnold. Zoundbomb, Peter Smith, Lenore Gore, Audrey Flew, Stunlock FT Dub, Misery84, James Jenks92, Brandon, Tommy V, Curzone, and Matachu. Thank you all so much for submitting achievements and participating in the treasure hunt. And 
The winners of the four draft sets, so if you completed five or more of the achievements, you got entered into a giveaway. So the four people that get giveaways for this iteration are our boy Generation D20, Tangent Measure, Matachu, and Peter Smith. Congratulations. You are the proud owners of a new Rivals of Ixalan draft set. So please get in touch with us somehow through our email, through Twitch or Twitter, and we can hook you up on Magic Online. Congratulations and thank you for your your hunting this treasure hunt time around. Absolutely. And we also had some bragging rights competitions uh, on this treasure hunt for seeing who could go the biggest or the most on some of our achievements. So Strix Familiar uh, had the biggest Awakened Amalgam at 1313. Generation D20, You Can't Touch This, attacked for 11 unblockable power. B Scott on MTGO and Misery84 on Twitch went infinite with Polyraptors, had the infinite Polyraptor combo. So he had Polyraptor, Forerunner of the Dinosaurs, whatever that one's called, mm-hmm. and uh, the white combat trick. The Sheltering Light. Thank you. That gave the Forerunner Indestructible to go infinite on Magic Online, which was capped at like 200 some or something. The screenshots mm-hmm. were ridiculous. Yeah. Generation D20 on What's Mana Burn added 734 mana with Sanctum of the Sun. Yes, that's right. He had 734 <laughs> life when he tapped Sanctum of the Sun for mana. Generation D20 also, what can you do, had Hwatli at 153 loyalty, which is also <laughs> insane. <laughs> Generation D20, again, uh, you won't like me when I'm angry, had a 24-24 Siegehorn Ceratops. And again, Generation D20 with Dino Discount, discounted his dinosaurs by six played that gregory the the brontodon the six gg brontodon uh, for just gg thank you all so much just so for fun i'm really excited to get to do this for dominaria again like i think this is a cool like little branding thing for our podcast but it's also really fun to get to see people actually do the things that we come up with <laughs> like I, when we see screenshots on twitter or twitch or people sending them to our email it's really fun to get to see these things come to life all right, next week, it's going to be the Dominaria Crash Course. Yeah, Strap baby. your seatbelts in. Yeah, for sure. If people want to get in touch with us, I keep talking about Twitter and Twitch, do so. I'm at Lord Tupperware on Twitter. Ben is at Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same handles on twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware and Mr. Metronome. Please come spam our chats. Please get in touch with us on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. And if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.